Hello, a big warm welcome to the Memorabilia Podcast, where we select one album from our treasure collection to feature per episode. We look at the people behind the music, the stories surrounding the making of the record, its reception on release, and how it holds up now. This is episode number 30. <laughs> and to coincide... Stretching behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and to coincide neatly with the 30th anniversary of its release, we are covering the fantastic Last Splash by the Breeders. I'm Rick, and as ever, I'm joined by my wife, Kate. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> who, who will wake up as the episode goes along. So without further ado, let's get into it. If you're a first-time listener, if you're here because you're a Breeders fan or have heard about us from uh, somewhere else, thank you very much for joining us. We do appreciate it. And um, if you are a regular, even more, thank you. Is that even a phrase? Even more thank you? No, I was just waiting for you to say thank you for lending us your ears. <laughs> you're the favourite. Yeah, I've stopped saying that because you keep telling me. Anyway, um, our last episode, episode 29, was Mark Armand's, well... Mark and the Mambas, uh, fronted by Mark Armand. The album Torment and Terreros, which was from 1983, so that was celebrating 40 years today. As I said, we are celebrating 30 years since the release of Last Splash by the Breeders. Um, I made a couple of promises at the start of the last uh, episode where we'd keep it under an hour. Kind of failed a little bit on that one. Uh, and that we'd produce a podcast every two weeks. So we are two weeks later. Let's see how long we can keep it up. Uh, and news on our own charts. We, we do keep a little chart of which of our episodes gets the most listens. Um, I love the way you say we. <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, Stato me keeps a, a check on that. Um, yes, it has been since it, pretty much since its release. Um, we did an episode with Dan Donnelly, who plays with the Levelers, uh, looking back on his album. Um, what's his album called? Country and Northern. Mm. And uh, that had been the highest uh, listened to episode, and it's now been overtaken by Open All Night by Mark Armand. So the Mark Armand fans are uh, listening. Thanks for that. If you if you've come back, if it, I don't know whether there's been much crossover between Mark Armand and the Breeders, to be fair. But uh, anyway, if if you're back as a Mark Armand fan, we, uh, it's good to have you. Stick with us. Stick with us. Well, we, there will be more Mark Armand in the future. So the Breeders. Who are the Breeders, Kate? How much do you know? We haven't talked about this. How much do you know about the Breeders? Did you have the album, The Last Splash? Did you know much about them? I didn't have the album. Uh, I didn't even have a tape of the album. Um, I knew the singles from Clubbing. Yeah. That was my... I knew there was... I was going to say, I knew there was like some kind of connection with other bands, but at that point in time, there was always a connection with another band. <laughs> So I just got really confused. I'm not the best in names at the best, you know, anyway, am I? So no. I remember people used to be like, oh, so-and-so from this group, like, go oh, doing this with someone. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I know I know there's a thing. I have no idea what it is. Okay, so you're going to learn. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so um, I, I guess the biggest connection is the fact that Kim Deal, who started the band, um, was in the Pixies originally, 
Um, were you much of a Pixies fan? Did you have any of their stuff? Uh, I've got some of their stuff on compilations. And I okay. quite like it. And it, um, like a few other people that I lived with and stuff, really liked them. Yeah. I, I liked them, but not enough to buy it myself. Yeah. So... I had um, a copy of Doolittle, which is one of their LPs. I can't remember what year it's from, but they kind of, I kind of missed them because they finished, I mean, they're back and they're playing again now, as a lot of bands have done, but the Pixies kind of died away from um, this kind of time, which is one of the reasons why. We thought that we could get away with this. Our son is playing his music upstairs really loud, which we couldn't hear on the test that we did. He's just got his electric guitar out. I'm not feeling so confident about that. (laughs) There was one note, and hopefully he's realised and put his headphones on. But (laughs) We shall see. Yeah, but um, Jell, who was one of my best friends around that time, I went to college with, she was massively into the Pixies, and she'd been to see him in concert a few times. And... I remember her telling me that she passed out at one of the gigs, and I was like thinking, wow, that's, that's a bit like, extreme. It sounds like Michelle. Though. Yeah, but she kind of got down the front and she was in the, like, the mosh pit and, you know, got a bit squashed and a bit hot, I think. So, um, and she had, I remember she had a, a, there's like a famous T-shirt that says Death to the Pixies. I don't, I'm not sure whether that's a, a slogan from their, one of their albums or what, but. So she was hugely into them. So I did listen to them quite a lot, but like you, I'd never kind of, um, bought anything, even though I had a copy of Doolittle, which I, I really liked. Um, and I, I taped them off the radio as well, you know, back in the day when you used to tape. There was a live concert that they did, uh, which they played Monkey Gone to Heaven. I remember that great song. So, yeah, so she she formed the Breeders Kim Deal in 1989, um, and their debut album Pod was released on the record label 4AD in 1990. Um, with the classic four-person lineup, I guess you could call it. So you've got two guitarists, bass player, drummer, um, and on the guitar and vocals was Kim Deal. On the uh, other guitar and vocals was Tanya Donnelly, uh, Josephine Wiggs on bass, and a guy called Britt Walford was the drummer who went under the pseudonym, I'm not sure why, of Shannon Doughton. On the drums, uh, another connection on bands, Tanya Donnelly was, at the time, in Throwing Muses, who had toured with the Pixies, and when they both kind of slowed down, the band slowed down, that's when they decided to kind of collaborate and and start this new band. Um, So Donnelly was in the uh, Throwing Muses with her stepsister, Kirsten Hirsch, I didn't realise that dated back to 1981. That makes me feel a bit old. I don't like feeling old. Only uh, a bit old. Yeah. Like, I can tell you you're really old. Don't do that. <laughs> and uh, and then, yeah, Tanya Donnelly left the Breeders uh, a couple of years after they formed to form Belly in 1991. Did you ever see Belly? Nope. Uh, I did see them live a couple of times, actually. Um, I think at the university in Sheffield. Uh, very good, very good live. So, the, yeah, the Pixies split in 93, and Kim Deal turned her attention back to the Breeders. Um, they brought in her sister, her twin sister, Kelly Deal, 
who is the elder by 11 minutes. Um, identical twin sister. And um, this guy on the drums is Jim McPherson now. So like the, the Deal Twins, uh, he was a native of Dayton, Ohio. And um, Josephine Wiggs continued on the bass guitar. And she represents the Anglo-Saxon quarter of the band because she was born in Letchworth, Hertfordshire in England. And she met Kim Deal when um, they were supporting the band that she was playing with called The Perfect Disaster in London in 1988. A bit weird that her sister Kelly Deal, when she joined the band, was not a guitarist. She was a drummer. They put her in as a third guitarist and she'd never played guitar. So, sounds like she was a very quick learner. Kim Deal gave her a, a crash course. And even more bizarrely, that she, she played lead guitar, which is, I find, much harder than rhythm guitar. But yeah, picked it up quick. Um, apparently she had a tryout for the Pixies as well on drums. Frank Black, who was the, um, the lead singer and uh, songwriter for the Pixies, was up for it, but apparently Kelly wasn't that confident in her drumming ability. So, uh, so she didn't join in the end. Um, but yeah interesting kind of maneuvers around there and the three of them played guitar on one ep which was kind of released in between their first lp pod and the last splash called the safari lp that was the only time that tanya donnelly kim deal and kelly deal all played together and then um, as we said kelly left to form belly so uh pod itself that original debut album i must have bought that subsequently i've got a copy of that as well i listened to it this morning um very good album and it was an eleven thousand dollar budget to record that by 4ad which is not a lot i don't think in terms of recording no, budgets no i don't think it's a lot uh it didn't do massively well commercially but um, it was critically well received and including the plaudits was a certain Kurt Cobain who uh, referenced that album pod as one of his 50th, one of the 50 most influential records on him. And um, he talked about Kim Deal's songwriting and now the fact that she should have written more of the Pixies songs. Do you know the song Gigantic by Pixies? Yeah. So she wrote that song and he said you know that's one of their better songs he should do more than she should decide she should do more of the songwriting um so he was big into the the breeders and they actually supported uh nirvana uh on a couple of tours uh in 1992 so before they released the last splash and then afterwards um later i, think, I don't know if it was later in 93 or maybe in 94 they supported them on the in utero tour so, so in nineteen ninety three, then, so we were both twenty one years old. Mm. We, we, you must have been in Leeds at this point. Mm. Uh, was it? So I would have been twenty one in the January of that year. Yes, correct. Yeah, uh, that was the year I went to Russia. I oh, was it. So I was I was in Leeds for some of it, but right. So you weren't really doing gigs or anything around that time, were you? No, because I left in March, came back in 
September. Right. So just after this was released, kind of. Because mm. this was released right at the end of August, yeah. Yeah, I was doing quite a few gigs around this time. But not as many as, like, when I was first started going to gigs. Like, when I used to go to the Leadman every bloody Saturday, pretty much, in Sheffield. Um, but, yeah, I, did, I still... I, I still went to quite a few, including I went to see the Breeders. Um, they did a tour, I think it was a couple of months after this record was released. I saw them on the 3rd of October. It was a, a Sunday. I went with Ringo. And uh, memorable for a number of reasons. Um, we got there a little bit late, so that there were two support acts. First support act called Luscious Jackson. I've, I've got one of their albums. I've played, mm. played one of their songs quite a lot. Um and yeah, a bit of a shame we only really caught the end of their set. I think we saw like the last three or four songs and really liked them. Then we went to the bar and the bar was absolutely packed. I'd just started working at the university bar and I was thinking, God, I'm not working tonight. It took me half an hour to get served. And by the time we got back from the bar, the set for Urge, Urge Overkill were like the, the main support had nearly finished. But I don't think I was that impressed by Urge Overkill. Um, and then we went to the near the front and um, saw all the breeders set. But in between, we went and sat on the stairs for some reason. I think it was just too hot. We went out and there was this girl came up the stairs. Uh, and she said, oh, which side of the stairs do you guys walk on? So we were just kind of chatting to her a little bit. It's <clears throat> a thing in America. That's like a proper thing. Is it? <laughs> I, I, someone said it to me the other week that in America people will walk on a specific side of the pavement and I was like, what? <laughs> I saw this thing the other day and someone was going, oh, yeah, it's just really random and people walk like up or down the stairs on whatever side they feel like and I was like, yeah. <laughs> just, um, yeah. I mean, I automatically so, do it over so here. She, she was asking a genuine question. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was just a line, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it, I was like, that was not a line. <laughs> Sorry to, uh, to uh, yeah, disappoint you after all these years. Yeah. Well, I automatically just walk on the left because we drive on the left. So, do, you, <laughs> yeah. do you? On the stairs, yeah. I always do that. You, right. So so that was the conversation start. Yeah, that's really weird. So, I, I just pick a side. I don't care. <laughs> Sounds more like you. Yeah. yeah, but we were chatting to this girl for like two or three minutes, and um, <laughs> then I, she was like, "Shit, they think it's a line. I need to run." No, no, she was friendly. It was good. You know, it was like it was. It was going somewhere, and then someone. Oh, was it, no, it was. I'm sure it was. And then someone came up to her and went, "Oh, oh, we really liked your set." And she, we didn't realize she was in Luscious Jackson. She was the guitarist in Luscious Jackson, <laughs> and that was it. So they got chatting to her, and then the rural people come chatting to her, and we we start we tried to re-engage the conversation, but she needed a loo and she was off. So the stairs just weren't kind of anymore, were they? No, but yeah, so I remember it for that. And then the gig itself, um, the breeders were fantastic, very tight, very good, um, and very funny as well. Really good interplay between the band. I remember that really good banter between them all, taking the mickey out of each other. So. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good gig. It was bloody hot though. It was just because it was a. It wasn't. There was two venues at the um, the Sheffield Student Union, and they were in kind of the the, the smaller one. Um, and it could have done with being <laughs> the bigger one, to be fair. 
but uh, but yeah, that was a good gig, a good memory of that. Um, so they they after the last splash, I'm just going to finish the history of the band because I'm probably not going to do the, the breeders again. But they went into a hiatus in '94, uh, and this was well publicised um, drug bust for Kelly Deal. Um, who was in possession of heroin and, and she checked into um, rehab and then Kim also went into rehab for, for drug and alcohol issues. So, you know, they, they kind of disappeared for a little bit. Kim came back and, and did a, a record uh, with a different lineup with a band called The Amps, called Pacer. Um, and then they reformed in the late 90s uh, and released a couple of albums in the 2000s. 2002, they released Title TK, I've not heard, and Mounting Battles in 2008. And then 10 years ago in 2013, the classic lineup with Wigs and McPherson reunited, and this was to celebrate 20 years of Last Splash. Uh, and they did a, a swanky new release of that, um, box set on vinyl and a three CD release entitled LSXX. So that's a real numerals for 20. I know you're not great with real numerals, Ken. And, uh, and then, yeah, uh, five years ago, they released their last kind of recording, um, an album called Old Nerve, which was 2018. So I, I, I did hear that when it came out. I've not listened to it since, but yeah, that was very good as well. Very good record. So I'll probably revisit that at some point. So we're at the 30th anniversary now. Uh, there is a new edition of Last Splash coming out, uh, which is going to be released on the 22nd of September, and they're touring uh, throughout September and October. Unfortunately for me, not in the UK, but loads of dates in the US. Um, and Would I, you have got, given oh, yeah. that you haven't listened to their latest two? Yeah, listen. yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we watched a clip, didn't we? Well, we were watching some videos on uh, YouTube the other night, the singles from around this time. And uh, we put on the the videos on YouTube for the single releases for this album, and then watched the uh, they did a slot on I think it was Jules Holland, wasn't it? Uh, his later program where he just has live bands on. It's quite a good format if you've never seen it. If you're in America, whatever, really good kind of music show that's on the TV over here. And there's not not too many of them left, unfortunately. Um, and it was a a recording of them playing Cannonball. And, um, I mean, it looked recent. It looked like they were around this age, but phew, they can still play. So, yeah, I would have, absolutely. Um, I mean, there might, there might be some more dates in the future, I don't know. Um, they're doing uh, supports for Foo Fighters. Uh, they're playing some gigs with Belly. So, they're obviously, still friendly with Tandy Donnelly. And they've also just announced some more support slots for the Foo Fighters in New Zealand uh, in January. So if you fancy going over there <laughs> for your 52nd birthday, I'm up for that. Uh-huh. Who's paying for it? Don't know. Better buy some lottery tickets, I think. Uh, yeah, so the name, uh, the breeders apparently is from uh, a gay derogatory slang term for heterosexuals. Do you never heard that before? Nope. <laughs> I love how you live in the world and you just like don't know stuff. But I wish my head. I know like, stuff about music. I don't know stuff about. But I just know stuff about random things that have nothing to do with me, like which side of the stairs Americans walk and stuff. You just know what you know, don't you? 
Oh, just. Anyway. It's busy in my head. I wish it was less busy. I think it's less busy in your head. No comment. <laughs> yeah, so Kim found this humorous, decided that was a good, good name for the band, and it also apparently reflected her love of horror films, uh, and in particular one from David Cronenberg, uh, who had a 1979 film that I've never heard of called The Brood. And I, I, there's no point even asking you out if you've seen that. <laughs> to be fair, it's more on the sort of thing I might have watched, like obscure horror, like... True, but, true enough. No, not that one. Yeah. So the only other Breeders reference that I thought you may know uh, and may be able to enlighten us, us on a bit more, because I didn't look into it too much, um, was that they apparently appeared on an episode of Buffy. Did you know that? No. Oh. But I was when because I, I was making making Charlotte watch Buffy from the beginning with me. Making her, I think she loves it enough. That... And initially, I had to make her, and now she's really into it. Yeah. Uh, this but... is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sorry to give you this full title. I was saying to her that like a lot of the bands on there were like real bands. Oh, okay. Like... Oh, so it's like a, a, a common yeah, thing yeah, then. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, but obviously, we didn't know a lot of them because they were American bands and a lot of them like Indian stuff. So, so when you did spot one, it was like. Oh, All <laughs> oh, right, I didn't know that was a thing that yeah. the band appeared on there. Well, they got invited on because uh, in their live set, the Breeders um, used to play the theme tune for Buffy quite a lot. So that's why they ended up going on. Um, and you can find which episode is on and all that rubbish if, if you're interested in it. <laughs> you, you're, you're tapping out there. You're not. You're yeah, not. Buffy the Vampire's <laughs> is not really my thing, is it? Uh, so, no. Um, but yeah, while, while we're on TV, the thing that is kind of our thing that we're enjoying at the moment, we're, we're uh, just about three episodes from the end of season three of Ted Lasso. I don't know whether it's the final season, I hope not, but brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Rick just loves it because he's finally got me to watch this telly programme about football. <laughs> but as you keep telling me, it's not really about football. <laughs> it is about football. It's just dumbed down for people who don't care about football. <laughs> no, the writing on it is is exceptional though, and and the uh, acting um, very good as well. Hannah Waddingham and um, Jason Sudeikis, superb. Plus that guy who plays Leslie, I like him as well. Mm. <laughs> and Roy Kent. Oh God, that must be the best part to play ever. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> So yeah, so that's the, the background on the breeders. Um, just to break it up a bit rather than give it fact, 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 fact from Rick. <laughs> um, I thought at this, this point we will do... This... I like to act on feedback. There <laughs> might have been some feedback. Some feedback from you, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I thought we'd do the UK singles chart around uh, the time of release. So we'll get into that next, so just to give you a flavour of what else was in the musical landscape at this time. On the last episode, we covered the UK singles charts from August 1983, so we're exactly 10 years ahead, and that was an absolutely splendiferous top 10. Um, this one, not so much, not for me. Um, very, very different. A lot of kind of... Drum beats, um, as in drum machine influenced tracks in there. Mm. 
not so much of the uh, Indian alternative stuff at all. Even though it was around this time, post-grunge, that things were kind of getting a bit more airplay, the Indian alternative stuff, especially in the, in the UK, um, on the radio, finally. It was kind of around this time it just started breaking through, but still the mainstream charts were not um, littered with indie bands or alternative or guitar-driven tracks. It was all, it was rave, wasn't it, was the thing? Yes, it was, you're right. So, which wasn't my thing. Did you go to any raves? Have we talked about this before? I think I you said to one. one, you said, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I got really annoyed because people kept coming up and telling me they loved me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was drinking beer. I was not, not partaking of what they were partaking of. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> sure you do. And how did that reaction go down? Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing they didn't really care, did they? No, they didn't care. And then I, so after that, I just used to work the doors and do the cleanups. Okay. Yeah. So I got paid. It was all right. Fair enough. Gave you a living. Yeah, but not <laughs> living, but it got me free entry into gigs and things. So. Yeah, very good. Well, um, yeah, we have to duck outside the top 10 uh, of August 93 to find anything remotely what I would class as Indian alternative. We've got Paul Weller at 14 with Wildwood, which was a very acoustic based track, but a, a great song from a great album. And at 13, there's the old four non blondes. What's up? Go on, sing it. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. What's going on? It's too sweet. <laughs> what, my vocals? Oh, yeah. thanks, darling. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the top 10, we actually uh, watched these top 10 videos on YouTube uh, a couple of nights ago, and it was uh, a rather strange experience. Uh, that's half an hour of my life, I'm never getting back. <laughs> that is one way of putting it, yeah. At 10, we had uh, Faces by Two Unlimited, which I didn't remember at all. Video was a bit weird. It was like a futuristic set dumped in the middle of a, a, a desert or bedrock from the Flintstones, one or the other. Um, to Unlimited, famously, that their song was uh, No Limit. No, I'm just, that's the, I can't sing faces, I don't know how it goes. Nine was uh, Mariah Carey, Dream Lover. Um, that was a bit of a typical Mariah Carey type thing. She was getting all giddy and happy in a field with some other dancing men. There was rolling on the floor. Was there? Which is very reminiscent of the uh, video that we watched for last week's one. What, Paul Weller in the Style Council? You loved him <laughs> yeah. with his shirt off, didn't you? Yeah. It's clearly where she got the idea. Obviously, it was Mariah Carey. It was more polished and aesthetically pleasing, but it's essentially the same video. Uh, well, I have to agree <laughs> with you. I do prefer looking at Mariah rather than Mr. Weller. But... There we go. Uh, eight was UB40 and Higher Ground. And I made the comment to you at the time while we were watching the, the video. It was kind of familiar, the chorus, but I didn't really remember it. And I wondered if it was a, a cover. But it isn't. It's their, their own composition, that, that song. Um, great vocals as ever by Ali Campbell. Seven, we had an interesting one. 
Interesting. <laughs> well, it was Apache Indian, and it's an EP. And the, so I, I said to our smart TV, play Nuff Vibes EP by Apache Indian. And the first, he burst onto the screen, the old Apache, and he, the first thing he says is, boom, shaka lock. <laughs> it's like, what is this? <laughs> and I, I do kind of remember that, that phrase, boom, shaka lock. So that was the, the, the first song off the EP. Uh, so he kept going on about wiggling your belly and wiggle your belly. And uh, yeah, interesting. Um, Number six was the Urban Cookie Collective with The Key, The Secret. Uh, and I do remember this one. Do you remember this one? I got the key. Mm-hmm. I got the key. <laughs> yeah, so that was that one. Uh, number five is Right Here by SWV, uh, which samples Michael Jackson, if you remember that video. Um Bizarrely, they're kind of in the jeans and they're doing some sort of beach fishing. The old SWV, S W U V, which features in the song. Beach fishing. Yeah, they were on the beach with their fishing rods, but they didn't seem to be casting it in and catching any fish. I don't know what all that was about. Um, four was Freddie Mercury's "Living on My Own" in brackets '93. I meant to look this up, but I haven't done. I can't remember. I, we were trying to figure out whether it was a remix or the original release of, of Living on My Own, but. I obviously, we couldn't muster up enough interest to Google it. So I suggest we just leave it there. Yeah, sorry, Freddie. <laughs> uh, more water based, uh, well, song. And number three, The River of Dreams by Billy Joel. No drum machine on this one, to be fair. Hurrah. Hurrah. Hurrah, yeah. No drum machines. Hurrah. A break from the old drum machines. I like this song. I don't think it's one of his best songs, but compared to the rest of the stuff in this top 10, it's probably the best one here. I'm guessing you're not a fan. Billy Joel. No. Uh, Yeah, too uh, sickly sweet for you, I'm guessing. Mm. Um, What about number 2K? Our friend Bitty McLean, who I thought was going to be a female. <laughs> I couldn't remember who Bitty McLean was. Uh, a black guy making his um, charting debut with a song called It Keeps Raining. Tears from My Eyes, I think it is. Hold on, let me just. Yeah, Tears from My Eyes. There we go. Which was a cover um, of a Fats Damino song. Mm. Uh, I was also going to look up whether this was from a film, but I forgot to do that as well. I looked up. It, wasn't, oh, a film it film. wasn't from a film, right? Okay, so it was just a cover. It was alright. But... Well, I think I think the only thing you can say about these charts, mm. as rubbish as they are overall, yeah, is that they did have some kind of interesting stuff, kind of coming in like this, the UB40, and there's just there's a little bit like a, a grain. Of like diversity in the music. Okay. And it wasn't wall to wall like covers of Mariah Carey. Mm, well, okay, that's true. That's true. Uh, number one, Mr. Vane. Calling Mr. Vane by Culture Beat. See, you, you're stacking it off, but you, you know them all. Oh, it's awful, <laughs> though, isn't it? It's absolutely awful. I mean, the vocals are all right on it, but. 
Oh dear. Oh dear. Let's just stop there. Well, I mean, for me, it was just drum beats. Yeah. Everybody, everybody jumping around like. Well, I'm highly disappointed. It has to be said in terms of a set of ten video songs to watch. And I, I did say to Kate, I said, should we, should we watch the videos or, or shall we just have a bit of fun and do them as karaoke? Can you imagine if we tried to do them with karaoke? Would have looked at them and gone, uh, I mean, I know two fair, of them. I'd have probably enjoyed watching you struggle with that. <laughs> you mean you know two of them? You keep singing bits. No, but I mean, to be able to sing, I probably could have sung The River of Dreams by Billy Joel and Living on My Own by Freddie Mercury. The rest of them I didn't know well enough, just snippets on them. So. I think you know the main one. I think you're. Uh... Oh, come on. Everyone knows that. It got to number one, it was played go, everywhere, it? but it doesn't mean it's good, does it? <laughs> Crikey. Well, doesn't, karaoke doesn't have to be good, does it? It just has to be done. Well, it's a good job. Good job. Let's leave it there anyway. <laughs> Let's get back to The Last Splash by The Breeders. Back to The Last Splash then. Um, you've already said you didn't have this. This is a record. How many times did you manage to listen to it? I, for anybody that's listening for the first time, Kate doesn't like homework. <laughs> Any kind of homework. Was it homework back at school? Homework about doing this podcast? Anything. Just don't like being told what to do. Yeah, right? that, that is part of it. So have you managed to listen to it? Uh, you played it twice in the car on the way. I've just been on why, why didn't you just say no? <laughs> and I, I speeded through about the first two thirds of it yesterday when we were supposed to be recording yesterday. Okay. And then you said that we were doing it today, so I didn't bother to listen to the rest. <laughs> okay, very good. So it's quite a good album. I quite enjoyed it, but I just I can't be bothered to like get into stuff that is old. It's not old. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's a, like I've got um, like a million like new releases that I want to listen to. Your commitment to this podcast is admirable. Well done, Kate. Thanks. I try, I try my hardest. It doesn't come up to your high standards. Well, we, we always give a rating for the record, so we'll do that after we've talked about the, the tracks and um, the, the facts on the album. So the, the title itself, The Last Splash, comes from the lead single, uh, Cannonball, the lyrics from that. Uh, and The Last Splash. Uh, it was recorded in the, in LA, San Francisco and Dayton, where What's they're the from. Artists? Bit of a drink everywhere. Yeah, interesting drink. How is it, by the way? It's all right, actually. Good. Uh, Kate's got a cold, iced, iced coffee. Coffee with milk in it. And I don't drink ever milky coffee, but yeah. I was like, I feel like it needs milk, so I risked it, and now I feel like an influencer <laughs> <laughs> with my with my reusable straw and my ice cubes. <laughs> Absolutely, you'll find Kate all over the internet with this influencing drink. Not. How can you be an influencer when no one knows about it apart from me and the few say, listeners of our podcast? I didn't say I was an influencer. I don't want to be an influencer. I just was enjoying the moment. Just <laughs> the chinky ice cubes. Okay, okay. So there's there's 15 tracks, which is quite a lot, but a lot of them are short tracks. Uh, it's only a 40-minute runtime on the album, so it would have fit back on the old... Uh, C45s, you'd have See, been happy about gets, that. Gets extra points yeah. just for that. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, my description, I, I always try and pick out four or five little songs to describe the album. I put punchy, energetic, innovative and diverse. 
Um, agree with that? Anything you want to add? Yeah, no, that sounds fine. Okay. Uh, all the songs are written by Kim Deal, other than uh, Do You Love Me Now and I Just Want to Get Along, uh, which have co-writing credits for Kelly, her sister. Uh, and there's one cover on there, a song called Driving On Nine, um, which was originally uh, written and recorded by a band called Ed's Redeeming Qualities. So I went and listened to their original of that song. And uh, it's a guy that sings it. It's a bit slower. It's not as polished and his vocals aren't as good. So for me, this is a, an improvement on the original. I'd never heard of that band, by the way. I think they were kind of some sort of old folk band by the sounds of it. Uh, the cover, cover of the album, it's kind of green, red, black splashy background. It's got a, uh, a 3D red heart uh, in front of that background. And it looks like it's been covered in Henderson's Relish. <laughs> well, how else would you describe that? Kim? How to say you're from Sheffield without saying you're from Sheffield? <laughs> yeah, you can't better it. You see, it's perfect description. Yeah, I mean, I would have gone ink or black paint, and Henderson's would have not been at the top of my uh, list of things to say. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, yeah, quite a good distinctive cover. And then over the top of that, you've got the uh, the breeders, their logo, and last splashing some sort of fancy white font. Um, the CD booklet contains several images of the band horsing around, I guess. Uh, there's one of them posing for a photograph. And it's got graphical representation of the lyrics, full lyrics in there. Um, how was it received? Very, very well. Uh, and uh, I've read a few kind of retrospectives on it. And again, people still love it. Pitchfork. Named it at number 64 in the top 100 albums of the 90s. Rolling Stones uh, ranked it at number 293 in the 500 greatest albums of all time. Spin had it at 39 in the 90 greatest albums of the 90s. Uh, and it was commercially successful as well. Pretty much thanks to lead single, which we'll get to shortly, uh, Cannonball. But it reached number five in the UK album charts and number 33 in the US Billboard 200. And it sold in excess of a million copies in America alone and 1.25 million copies worldwide. So pretty good. Not to be sniffed at. Not to be sniffed at at all. Um, yeah, in terms of the tracks themselves, uh, it opens with um, New Year is the, the kind of opening track on there. And I think that's, a, a, again, we've found this with quite a few albums, but this does kind of set the intent for the, for the record. It's got that Pixies element where it's kind of, they're known for their kind of slow, fast songs. Um, so it has got a slow start and it builds into this kind of blistering two chord driven power pop record. It's only two minutes long, but really like it. And then you're straight into Cannonball. So you'd obviously heard Cannonball, used to dance to it in the clubs. We watched the video the other night. Your best mate loves this song. She does, yeah. She absolutely loves this song, Naomi. It's a bit of a departure from uh, the cassette tape that we were talking about that was her. Do you remember she'd got that cassette tape free from Clark's? Oh, yeah, yeah. This That was um, on the last episode we talked about um, Malcolm McLaren and his uh, double dutch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But she, she does like that kind of stuff. I mean, the, other, the other song that she always wants when we go to any kind of indie disco is... Um, Jane's Addiction, mm -hmm. uh, Being Caught Stealing, I think it is. 
So she she has got a, a similar taste to me in terms of that kind of punchy guitar. Well, I just think it's funny riffing. that we were talking about yeah, like yeah. Double Dutch last yeah. last episode, and then this bit. Yeah, Cannibal is one of her favourite songs. We always do. There's a whole like three day long conversation where she was trying to explain to me what this song was, and then eventually she gave up and she was like, "Rick, what's this song?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, it's Cannibal." <laughs> 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 so now she just goes straight to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Cannonball, it reached number 44 in the US uh, Billboard Hot 100, number 40 in the UK singles chart, number eight in France. And the weird thing is, it stayed, at, uh, stayed in the charts for 30 weeks in France and was the 20th best selling single uh, for 1994 in France. Um, certified gold, selling over 250,000 copies over there. Enemy and Melody Maker both had it as their best single in 1993. No dispute there, apparently. Uh, it reached, uh, reached, well, sorry. Enemy ranked it at number 22 in the 50th greatest indie albums. They like putting these little retrospective charts together, don't they? I mean, they do. And you know why they do it? Uh, no. For people like you. Oh, really? Who love going through them and... And mentioning the enemy. And adding, like, extra stats to the stats. <laughs> Can't beat a stat, can you? Uh, VH1 had it at 83 on their 100 Greatest Songs of the 90s. Pitchfork Media had it at number 22 on the top 200 tracks of the of 90s. And Rolling Stone's Greatest 500 Songs of All Time had it at 489. Come on, it's catchy, it's hooky. It's quirky, it's melodic, it's powerful. Yeah, but didn't we not go through that role at some Great Rolling song. Stones thing? It was dreadful. So that, that 489 is no reflection no, on the song. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was Rolling Stone. I'm sure oh, there was. Oh, you might be right. The top. I think we did the top 50, didn't we? We did the top 50 songs of yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah, maybe they had the chart upside down. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we watched the video. The video was co-directed by Kim Gordon uh, from Sonic Youth um, and Spike Jones, uh, and the band are pretty much playing in the in a garage. And then there's shots of a, a cannonball rolling through the streets of LA. And then there's also a, a few interspersed shots of, of Kim Deal singing in her heads, kind of submerged in water. It's a bit weird, that bit. <laughs> Didn't like that. Was, that, was that just too far for you? Yeah, I didn't like that. What was she doing that for? Who can sing him more? Maybe that's just a reflection of that start bit of the song. That, oh, ooh. <laughs> uh, so there's, yeah, in terms of what is the song about, uh, I've read all kinds of theories about this song. Kim Deal herself, who wrote the song, said it's about uh, the Marquis de Sade. Is that how you say it? Marquis de Sade. Marquis de Sade. You obviously know this guy. <laughs> Not personally, obviously. He's long dead. He was around, uh, he's a French, he was a French nobleman and writer from the mid-1700s. Um, but yeah, do you know anything about him? Uh, You're allowed to say no. You don't know everything. He was into whips and stuff. He was into whips and stuff. Yeah, I think he was a bit of a sexual deviant. So that's where sadism comes from. Ah, okay. Right. There we are, I've learned something new. Excellent. Uh, moving swiftly on. Someone else speculated that. I... You're just like, I don't know what to do with that. Let's move on. Roll with it if you like. 
Yeah, someone else speculated that she wrote it about Frank Black, who, uh, as we already said, was the, the singer-songwriter from The Pixies. Um, and one other thing that I read online was saying that she wrote it about kind of male masculinity and masculine power and how they were all assholes with it. So, <clears throat> What's male masculinity? Uh, I, think, I think it's just masculinity. I don't think you have to qualify it. Okay, thank you for that. Listening. <laughs> okay. You are quite correct. Um, How unusual. It is actually it is actually unusual for you to be right. Uh, there was, was an instance, I can't remember where it was, but you actually admitted you were wrong the other week. I, I should have had a recorder out. You only remember because it's so unusual. No, I remember because you admitted it, because you don't normally admit it. It's because I'm never wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, third track, Invisible Man. I picked this one because this is one of my favourites on the album. It's not kind of an outstanding track or anything, but I got this album for Christmas. So obviously it came out in August, went to see them in October, and obviously I was a bit skimmed back then. I was working in the student union bar, I was doing my dissertation for my degree. And uh, so yeah, I got it for Christmas. So that, that I don't know why, but that song, the third song, um, it reminds me of, of Christmas. Um, I, I like a, a voice on it, it's kind of slightly distorted, and it's got a, a bit of a dreamlike quality, I think, that song. So I really like that. Uh, track four is Noella, which was the the fourth single. This didn't chart. Very short and sweet, but a good song. Uh, and apparently this one is about Kim saying kind of goodbye to her normal life and the fact that, or what, what most people would deem a normal life and her deciding that it was never going to be for her. She was never going to be a mother, never going to be anything like her parents were. And she was cool with that if she died. You know, she was happy with the choices that she'd made. Um, before I carry on going through the the tracks that I've picked out, was there any songs that you really liked on the album? Not that jumped out at me, just the two that I knew already. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the other, the other thing that I did pick out on the record, and it kind of reminded me of, of what Blur do on their albums, is there's a couple of really good little instrumentals that just kind of knit it together. And they're not long, but they're quite... Um, Again, hooky, beat-driven. I hate that. I really like it. I, I just really like it. It just kind of... Oh, it just annoys me. Does it? Because I like lyrics, don't I? So if uh, you yeah, yeah. play me like a thing, without, and I'm like, well, that's not a song, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just well, a, it's just a bit of music. Track seven, which is called Flipside. I really like it. It's, it's kind of a bit surfer duty. But <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, it, it could be the, the makings of a good song, actually. Um, and then... The other instrumental on there, uh, track 11, SOS, this is the one that was sampled by the Prodigy for Firestarter. And uh, you really have to, I didn't realise that they'd sampled the, that track, uh, the Prodigy. And even, even though I knew it, I was like, which bit of the, the song is, and it is that starting bit where it's na 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 and they kind of twist it into a little bit more, but the, that, that first kind of, uh, the first few notes, da, na, 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 it is like from that SOS sample. If you listen, you can you can kind of hear it. But so that's pretty cool. So they had fans from the Prodigy, and apparently the Prodigy also used another sample of one of their songs on a, another of their songs. Um, 
Track 10, we'll jump to track 10, which is the, the second single release and the second most commercially successful single was Divine Hammer. Uh, it got to number 59 in the UK charts, 28 in the US modern rock charts. Um, again, we watched the video for this the other night. It was directed by the same two that did Cannonball. And knowing what the song is about after kind of explains the video a little bit. Do you want, do you, did you get any reference for what the song might be about from watching it or listening? But I assumed it was about Thor's hammer. Was that not right? No, apparently it's about because in the video they're kind of they're in kind of nuns' outfits, aren't they? Well, it's quasi religious outfits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of floating in the air a little bit. <clears throat> Is there even a hammer in the video? I have no idea. I wasn't really watching it. Okay. I was just listening to you chuntering about how people are flying around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Kim said that it's, it's ultimately um, about the, the search for. Um, or the disappointing search for something to believe in and that being a disappointment because it, it never works out for her so even though it's kind of cheery power pop at its best there is a you know a bit of substance to the, the meaning of the song um, and then the the third single they released was Saints um, this got to number 12 in the US modern rock charts didn't chart in the UK and this is kind of about the experience of visiting a, a carnival or a fair, um, and there's a lyric in there I like, all the different people, I like sticky everywhere, quite like that lyric. It kind of makes me think of Candy Floss, but <laughs> I guess she probably could have been referring to the heat in America, the sticky heat, I don't know. But yeah, I quite like that. Uh, and then I think the only thing that I, I'm not keen on on the album is the, the way that it's finished. The penultimate track is the aforementioned Driving Online, which I really, really like. Um, but they finished with a reprise of um, a track called, pardon me, ROI, which I'm not sure, what, I, I tried to look it up, but nowhere it seemed to kind of reference. There's, there's only one line of lyric in there. Um, and I, I wondered if it was a drug reference. It's something about, um, oh, I can't remember what it is. Let me just look that up. Yeah, so the line is where the shot leaves me gagging for the arrow. Um, that's pretty much the only line. But I don't know. It's uh, not return on investment then. We don't no, think. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, yeah, I did think that as well. But I figured it wasn't. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, overall... It was good listening to it again. It was good listening to Pod. I enjoyed listening to that this morning. I couldn't remember whether... Cause it's that, I have listened to Last Splash a few times since the 90s, but Pod I hadn't listened to probably for 30 years. Um, and I did enjoy listening to that, which was the debut album. Um, what What's your rating on two listens? <laughs> um, I'd probably give it like a seven because... Uh, like obviously a good point for being under 45 minutes <laughs> always always class um, and I enjoyed listening to it I just like when we were listening to it in the car I didn't it didn't make me want to turn it over and gouge my ears out like a lot of your music does so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to put my headphones on like <laughs> Um, yeah, I was actively enjoying listening to it. I just couldn't be bothered to put the time in to like 
learn it, I guess. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to give it an eight. I was teetering on an 8.5, but uh, I'm, I'll give it a solid eight. Very good album. Excellent to listen to. Not a bad track on it. Uh, yeah, so great. Good stuff. Uh, and I think that concludes our last splash talk. Let's dive back into what else was happening in August 93. We'll start with the album charts. Um, top 20, we got Abba Gold at 20. That was massive around that time. I remember everyone going on about Abba. It was a bit of a renaissance for that, that band. Take That and Party by Take That, boy band rubbish at number 18. Um, a terrific album in at 16, which was Bjork's debut. Love that album. We might cover that on a future episode. Did you have that? I've not got the album, no, but I did listen to it. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Require at 11 with Emergency on Planet Earth. Don't mind a bit of Jimmy Require, if I can say it properly. Uh, Tina Turner was at 10. What's Love Got to Do With It? We had The Four Non Blongs, Bigger, Better, Faster, More at 9. Um, Automatic for the People by R.E.M. at 8, which we covered uh, a few episodes ago, if you want to go back and haven't heard that one. What an album. Uh, Keep the Faith by Bon Jovi at 7. Did have Slippery When Wet, but I kind of stopped after that. I realised it wasn't really for me. Uh, Amp Music, the very best of Adam Ant uh, at 6. So that would have been kind of at least 10 years after his main... Mm. Foreign to the charts. He was early 80s, wasn't he? It was good. Mm. It was good. I didn't mind a bit of Adam. You um, two were at five with Zuvropa and you liked early U2, but nothing after it, yeah? Mm. What was the one album you had? Was it Joshua Tree? That was a favourite. Mm. Unforgettable no, Fire? War, I think. Oh, was it no. War? Okay. I'm not it a was, U2 fan. We were uh, on, a, on a train journey through Belgium in the days before there was fast travel. <laughs> and we we only had a, a Walkman and a plug-in speaker. <laughs> and the person who owned the plug-in speaker dictated that we had to listen to War Boy and what was the, their sort of breakthrough album? Joshua Tree. Probably, Fire. Uh, probably Joshua Tree. Yeah. Uh, on repeat on a, a, a seven, eight hour train journey through Belgium. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, rather you than me. <laughs> So what about the person that had the Walkman? Didn't they kind of just kind of muscle in on it as well? Was it not the same person? Did someone have a Walkman and someone had a speaker? Or was it no, the same? it was the same person, oh, okay. but like more of us had Walkmans. Right, okay. Got obviously, you. we didn't have the speaker, so you couldn't inflict your music on other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, Billy Joel was at four with his River of Dreams album. Three was The Spin Doctor's Pocket Full of Kryptonite. Uh, Another single, Two Princes. Mm. Excellent song. Mm. I think my brother actually had that album. Um, so I might have heard that. The Levelers were at two with The Levelers. I don't know which songs that one's got on it. I, I don't own any Levelers stuff. Uh, and at number one was Promises and Lies by UB40. So, yeah, a little bit of that album chart. Uh, cinema at the pictures, and again, if this is your first time listening, 
Kurt's never seen any of the films. I've seen at least one of these. I knew you'd have seen I was just about to say, but one of them I can guarantee <laughs> she will have seen. Um, we'll just do the top eight. Um, number eight was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number three. I didn't know they made that many. They're probably up to about eight now for a while. I've not seen that. Nope, me neither. Last Action Hero, Schwarzenegger, was at seven. Um, I never saw that, actually. Oddly enough. I didn't know. Neither did you. Uh, jump into five, we had Made in America, starring Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson, the guy out of Cheers. Nope. Me neither. Hot Shots Part Du at four. Nope. Nope. Uh, and here's the film that Kate will have seen. <laughs> it's Much Ado About Nothing, directed by Kenneth Branagh and starring Richard Bryars, Kate Beckinsale and Imelda Staunton. And that also looks to me like Kenneth Branagh himself. He was indeed in it. Yes. yes. Okay. Not that it was a vanity project or anything. Is that Keanu Reeves as well? Yeah. And Denzel Washington. Yeah. Why aren't they mentioned in the starring bit? They're like bigger names. Anyway, what is it any good? Yeah, I'm, it's very good. Seen, is it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so that was yeah, it was new in. So first week in the UK box office, it, it made over a, a million pounds. So obviously did pretty well. Dwarfed by the monster movie at number two, quite literally, Jurassic Park. I haven't seen that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Genuinely? I've seen bits of it, oh. but I've never watched it. It is good. It is good. I mean, for like this was a jump in terms of the old CGI stuff, and it was very, very good. I very made a jump. And care about the characters. It was a good film. It was a good film. I had to go and see that in the pictures. Uh, and that, up to that point, the total gross on that movie was uh, 19 million. And then at number one, we had In the Line of Fire, which was a, a Clint Eastwood, John Malkovich uh, thing. I think he was a bodyguard. If I, remember. I think I've seen this film. He was a bodyguard for the US president. And I think John Malkovich was kind of the the guy trying to uh, assassinate the president. So there you go. That was the uh, the box office in the UK. In terms of the news, um, yeah, a bit of an interesting one, this. Um, in August, I, I'm dipping into September a little bit. There wasn't a lot going off in the UK. I guess everyone was on holiday. I mean, the, the thing that we've, we've got on, on our resource that we use talks <clears throat> about opening uh, the Labour Party leader, John Smith, opening Millwall's New Den Stadium in London at a cost of 16 million quid and, and at the time was the largest football station to be built in England since World War Two. I didn't know any of that. Um, the interesting thing for me was the Department of Health reveals that the number of people on hospital waiting lists has reached a million for the first time. This was on the 11th of August. So what is it now? Well, I just had a look now. Over 7 million. Mm. So I know the population has increased, but we are... We have just kind of started on the slippy slope and have never got off it. Um, John Major was the president, president, the, the prime minister at the time in the UK. Uh, and I've mentioned this before. I do have a little bit of time for John Major because he was very outspoken about Brexit and how it would be an economic disaster, even though his party kind of voted for us to leave. Uh, and he's been proved right. So there was quite a bit going on with the politics in, in the UK at the time. The British National Party won its first uh, council seat in the London Borough of Tower Hamlets. Um, the UK Independence Party, which supported the breakaway from the European Union, uh, was formed uh, by members of the Anti-Federalist League. 
Um, so yeah, this was kind of the start of the the end, I guess. I mean, it took a long time, didn't it, for them to get their wish? But yeah, sad <clears throat> times. Uh, in terms of the telly, we always kind of have a look at the, the what was what was on the TV. Again, not not a right lot. I mean, there's there's mentions of. Um, debut movies movies because at that time it was a big thing when you got a, a premiere on the tv and stuff that had been in the cinema so they mentioned billy the kid starring val kilmer and a steven spielberg song that uh, song movie that I, I can't remember a romantic fancy called always do you remember that i don't remember that film uh and what else have we got here sky multi-channels were launching family channels were launching nickelodeon tv and uk living uh, and then into early September, we had the network television premiere of one of the greatest film franchises of all time. Back to the Future Part 2 was shown on BBC One. So I absolutely adore the Back to the Future movies. First one being the best, of course, but uh, there we go. You're not going to uh, mention your beautiful little... Oh no, it was a different. Sorry, I'm getting the franchises mixed up. Which one were you thinking of? Uh, the picture from Vegas. The picture from Vegas, which is not Back to the Future, is it? It's a film from Vegas. A picture from Vegas. No, the no. picture that we had done in Vegas. Oh, so Indiana, Indiana Jones. Yeah, 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 be, yeah. Before Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not going to mention that because I didn't. I, <laughs> Yeah, has anyone seen that latest Indiana Jones film? Didn't get very good reviews, so I didn't want to spoil it. I didn't want to go and see it, so I didn't go and see it, which is a bit of a shame because the first three are, yeah, rather good. Anyway, let's move on. We've got one more item to um, complete. We have our top threes, which this episode I thought was a good one. It was quite an easy one to pick with the uh, the Deal Sisters being the one of the main components of the band. The breeders, obviously. Um, we have gone for the best three or your favourite three acts or groups containing siblings. Yeah, join in. Join in. If you uh, want to let us know what your top three sibling bands or acts would be, and I say acts, as I said to Kate, just in case you wanted to pick Jedward or someone similar. <laughs> And also, if you join in, maybe I can get off the hook. I'd be down for that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Anyway, absolute plethora of bands and acts to choose from here. There's all kinds of stuff, even from back in the day. And I thought you'd be also happy about this category because, for once, I can't pick the Beatles because there weren't weren't any brothers in that that band. So, you know, uh, just to mention a few, I don't know if you would pick any of these. We've got Bee Gees, Carpenters, In Excess, The Kinks, Radiohead, The Beach Boys, Haim. And I mentioned Haim because I watched a movie the other day, uh, Licorice Pizza, mm. when I was at the gym. And uh, I didn't realise until after the film that one of the Haim sisters has a starring role and she was very, very good. Okay, so I don't. I don't really like Haim when I listen to them, and I really object to people saying licorice instead of licorice. <laughs> I'm in trouble again, listeners. I'm in trouble again. Anyway, moving what swiftly was that on. Thing the other day. Oh, it was that thing that you had on in the car. What and thing? What was he saying? Who? What thing? 
oh, it was some song and he was like mispronouncing the main word in the song. <laughs> it's like, that was when I gave up and put my headphones on. Oh, it was Eve Barzalev, Clem Snyder. No, no, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. Kate doesn't love him. Uh, yeah, we saw Eve supporting Ben Folds uh, a couple of times. What a guy. And I went and saw him on my own. Because <laughs> 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 Kate wouldn't come with me. Uh, yeah, he was singing a song by Daniel Johnson. Um, and the word was... Um, Ah, oh, it'll come to me. Go for your top top three, Kate. Give me a, and give me an order this time. Last week you oh, copped out and said fine. they're all the same. Number three, Hanson. Who doesn't love a bit Hanson? What? <laughs> I knew you'd be like. What? I love a little unbox. You haven't got any of those, so I can say Hanson. Oh, oh God, I despair. I despair. Um, Hanson. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get worse, isn't it? Right, said Fred. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Simon McGuinness, are you listening? Right, I need a replacement. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm not arguing. And then, number one, the Kinks. Are you happy now? Okay, thank you. A bit of credibility. Yeah. <gasps> you are so judgy. Come on, right, said Fred. I mean... We did do uh, their album, what's it called, Up, mm. as one of our episodes. And it was, for ages, like the least listened episode, which I was quite happy well, about. Well, I think. mean, I'm sorry that people are not able to appreciate their genius. But, you know, I feel like that's their loss. They're genius. You only mark the album to like five <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> Oh, yeah, don't... because as an album, it doesn't stand up, but it has some great songs on it. Oh, dear. Anyone can write one or two good songs. Oh, can they now? Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, where, where is that. your hit? I've managed it. <laughs> I just didn't get the publicity. I've oh, got a couple of good songs. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, as I was saying about Right Said Fred, they had a bit of renaissance over the summer, and they suddenly got like a, a spurt of listen. So whether the episode was shared on the Right Said Fred forum or something, I don't know. <laughs> So our least uh, listened to episode at the moment is The Monkeys. So give it some love. Give The Monkeys some love. <laughs> right. I mean, that just does not sound right. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Don't be telling oh, people to do in stuff In context, like that. in context, it sounds fine. <laughs> anyway, my top three. I've gone for ACDC at number four. Uh, Oasis at number three. I mean, that's questionable. What is? <laughs> In what way? Angus Young and Malcolm Young. Come on. Two of the finest guitarists Oasis. of a generation. I was questioning Oasis. Uh, what? <laughs> do, you never, do you not own any Oasis albums? No. Why? <laughs> well, partly because you've got them. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't listen I don't to them so like much them now. Very much. No, I they, don't. I didn't. There was a couple of what songs. the band or the people. That or both. I didn't. Um, they're all right, but I never. They're all right. They're all right. Come on, they had a big well, influence on British music. They're a bit like the Beatles, aren't they? Everybody's like goes on about it, but actually, when you come down to it, they've only got a few good songs. Your <laughs> face. Rick's brain is catching up with the, the heresy that I've just committed. 
Speechless. Absolutely <laughs> speechless. Beatles only got a few good songs. Are you having a giraffe? Oh my god. They have the biggest catalogues of fantastic songs in the history of pop music. In your opinion. No, not in my opinion. <laughs> like, like most people's opinion. Well, I <sighs> never really like to follow the crowd. So. Okay. Go on then, what's your number one? My well, number two first. I thought you just said ACDC and Oasis. Yeah, that's my top. That's number four, number three. You said top <laughs> three. Yeah, and then I started with ACDC at number four. I had to sneak in the time. So I've got Hugh and Cry at number two. Come on, the, bro- the brothers came. Pat and Greg. More questionable. No. I love I love Hugh and Cry, as you will know if you go back and listen to our Hugh and Cry episode. Uh, and number one, it's got to be the best export from Sweden since, no, not ABBA, Roland Nielsen, Sheffield Wednesday's greatest ever right back. And that's saying something because we had Mel Sterling. I mean, I don't know why you're looking at me like that. I just I don't know game. who any of these people are. Roland Nielsen was a Swedish need, international right back. I have no need to find out. Absolute class. Anyway, <clears throat> it's the Wanna Dies. It's got to be the Wanna Dies. What a band. Underrated, not appreciated enough. Fantastic. And it's the brothers Frederick and Stefan. I'm going to try and pronounce your surnames, guys. Uh, Schoenfeld. I don't know whether that's right or not, but <clears throat> I love the Wanna Dies, and we will be covering some Wanna Dies in a future episode. At least one of their albums. More if I can get away with it. And since it's my podcast, <laughs> we will be getting away with it. I mean, if it's your podcast, does that mean I have to be here? <laughs> Sorry, our podcast. <laughs> Feels like my podcast when you don't even bother listening to the album, do you? Which brings us on to it. the next episode. Which is going to be uh, 10 by Pearl Jam. And that is uh, going to be 32 years old exactly today as we record. I mean, far be it for me to elongate this torture anymore, but did you not want to do a single of the week as well? Of course. <laughs> but that's your job to bring that up. Well done. What is your single of the week, darling? Uh, I was born to cry by Dion. You've had that before. Oh, I haven't, have I? <laughs> Must have been having another shit week. <laughs> there you go. It's my shit week single. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that means I have to find another one. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> While Kate's doing some homework and suffering badly for it, I'm going to go for something that was released in 93. I, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to link it back to the episode. And I, I'm going for... My favourite track from uh, debut by Bjork, which we already mentioned, was in the album charts, which was Venus as a Boy. Um, and that was released uh, in August 93. So that is also 30 years old. So happy birthday, Venus as a Boy. Kate, have we found something else we can go for? Uh, Creep by Radiohead. Ooh, very good. And Radiohead have siblings in them. <laughs> Brothers. I don't know who they are. <clears throat> Very good song. What's made you pick that? Because I just saw it on the list of songs I've been listening to. Depre- depressing, sad songs. I love that song. Fantastic song. What a good note to end on. It looks like we failed again on the one hour mark. 
I'm getting closer, aren't you? I'm getting closer. I am getting closer. Uh, as we said, the next episode will be Pearl Jam's 10 and we'll be uh, inviting our friend Simon McGuinness back on. So we very much look forward to that one. Thank you, as ever, so much for tuning in and listening. And if you've got that fast, Kate Norman says, I'll say it. Uh, the medal is in the post. But we no, we really do appreciate it. I have never said that. Never said the medal to the post. No, but you kind of said you deserve a medal. Yeah, but I would never say the medal to the post. Okay. Um, please, to support us, uh, to help us grow the podcast, it does help us if you can like, uh, follow, and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Review us, share, and like our socials. We are on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Memorabilia Pod or on Facebook. I think that's just memorable podcast. Oh, I'm always going to call it Twitter, <laughs> despite whatever that idiot's done to it. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else. Do we need people to kind of share and like? And I think that'll do. So thanks once again for listening, and we look forward to having you back on the next episode. Hopefully, just so goodbye from me. Goodbye. And a goodbye from Kate. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.